2022, Team Milk came together by sponsoring female marathon runners for the marathon in New York City. Today, they're more than 20,000 strong. In 2024, Team Milk is making an even bigger commitment to female runners and launching the only women's marathon in the U.S., designed for and by women. The inaugural Every Woman's Marathon will take place in Savannah, Georgia on November 16, 2024. You can learn more and register for the marathon at everywomansmarathon.com. Hey, it's Max. We got a very special show for you this week. But before we get to it, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about a company that helps make this show possible, and it's Casper. Here's what Casper does Casper sells you a mattress, but there are three things that make it better than any way you've ever bought a mattress before. Number one, the mattress is great. It's engineered like in a lab for mattress perfection. It's got two types of technology, latex foam and memory foam. It's got the perfect sink, the perfect bounce. So that's one, the mattress, it's fantastic. The second thing, you don't have to go to a store. Have you ever gone to a mattress store? It's awful. It's like buying a car. Uh, the markup is huge. They're like trying to upsell you all the time. It's terrible. Casper just sends the mattress to your house. It comes in this box. I got one. Uh, it's super easy, super simple. You just open the box. You got a mattress, and it's this wonderful mattress. Okay, so that's number one. And number two, the third thing is that they're cheap. Like, they're totally affordable. Mattresses, for some reason, cost a million dollars, like a train ticket. I don't understand how they're that expensive, but Casper's aren't. Uh, and if you use the code LONGFORM at checkout, you'll get 50 bucks off. So go do that. Casper.com slash LONGFORM. Use the code LONGFORM at checkout. You get 50 bucks off. Thanks so much to them for sponsoring the show. And here is that show. Hello, and welcome to the Long Form Podcast. I'm Max Linsky. I'm here with my co-hosts, who are uh, Aaron Lammer and Evan Ratliff. Hey. There's an elephant in the room. <laughs> we can name it, dude, if you want to. I was getting there. Okay, I'm sorry. There's a, there's a fourth person in the room, uh, who is Jenna Weiss Berman, who is a, the producer and editor of the show. And, uh, and an elephant, and apparently. An, and an elephant. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that part of this. <laughs> and for one week only... A co-host. Yeah, one week only for sure, but it was really fun. I think you'll be back. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Out from behind the editing bay. Yeah. yeah. Jenna's only going to interview massive, massive celebrities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's my beat. Anyway, this week you uh, you interviewed someone, Jenna. I did. I interviewed Lena Dunham, who's had a big couple of weeks. Her book, Not That Kind of Girl, came out last week um, as paperback. It was out last year, obviously, as a hardcover. She also announced that she's doing a new show for HBO that's a comedy, like a feminist 60s comedy. Oh, what else? I think there was like the, one other thing. Another thing. <laughs> she also has a podcast out from the BuzzFeed Pod Squad, and uh, I'm excited about that because I actually produced it. So what is your role in the BuzzFeed Pod Squad? I run it. Run run game? <laughs> yes. This is my side hustle. It's a long-form <laughs> editor. What, uh, what, what other shows could we enjoy as part of the BuzzFeed Pod Squad? <laughs> We have a show called Another Round that I really love. Another one called Internet Explorer and another one called Rerun with Dory Shafrir. And also this great new one that Jen is doing with Linda Dunham. And uh, the way this came about, I feel like we should just say, is they've been working on the show very tirelessly. Jenna, basically all she has said to me for the last month is I have not slept. And uh, at some point while they were doing the show, Jenna just kind of like grabbed her and they talked about writing and all kinds of other stuff. It's a little bit shorter than a normal one, uh, but it's great. So, Jenna, while well, we've got you here, oh, God. who do you most like to edit? <laughs> <laughs> 
You're all great in different ways. Yeah. I've figured out how to successfully edit you all a lot faster than I used to be able to. Like, I know that Evan takes a little while to get to, like, the question. (laughs) 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 I know that Aaron has, like, a little bit of, like, a stoner giggle sometimes (laughs) that lasts a little too long sometimes. (laughs) Laughing at my own jokes is the number one criticism people have had for me since I was, like, seven years old. (laughs) (laughs) You just did it. There you go. <laughs> so you just need an editor in life. And but mine are basically perfect, right? You don't even have to edit anything. They're pretty good. Yeah, there you go. Wow. Perfect. She just edited out the twenty five times you've cried. <laughs> <laughs> I edited out a lot of low self esteem for me. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and yet so much of it remains. <laughs> so much. This seems um, like a good time to uh bring in our sponsor. MailChimp. If you have a business and you need to send emails, which I think pretty much any business needs to send emails, there's really only one way to do that. It's with MailChimp. The Adif uses it. Longform uses it. I have no idea whether the Pod Squad uses it. I'm just going to say they do. Do you use MailChimp? We should. Yeah, you should be using MailChimp. Eight million others are already using it. Why aren't you MailChimp? Here's Jenna Weiss-Berman and Lena Dunham. Jenna, and I'm so cute. <laughs> okay. My name is Jenna Weiss Berman, and I usually edit this show. And today I'm doing something that I've never done before, which is I'm getting on this side of the microphone. Uh, you I, sound amazing. <laughs> thank you. I usually um just sit on the other side as the producer. I'm sitting here with a very special gal. She's actually the only person I would ever interview, and this is the first and last time you'll ever hear me on the mic, and this is way too long an intro, but... Um, <laughs> I love it! I'm speaking today with Ms. Lena Dunham. Do you go by Ms.? Yeah, I go by Ms. And it's Lena Dunham? And it's Lena Dunham. <laughs> okay, great. L- Lena? It's Lena Dunham. Lena Durham. And, you know, I can say that I've known Jenna for 10 years, and I've always wished that she... I can. You can sometimes hear her giggling in the background of a podcast, but you don't actually hear her speaking <laughs> words, and I'm just so pleased to be part of this cherry-popping sesh. Lena and I actually have a podcast coming out called Women of the Hour that's hosted by Miss Lena Dunham, and I feel like and my... produced by Ms. Jenna Weiss. <laughs> Mrs. Jenna Weisberg? <laughs> you could call me Mrs. Okay, great. If you're nasty. <laughs> um, but I actually feel like my giggle is like you could play like a Where's Waldo game with it. Like I, you can hear it in every episode, and it's so embarrassing. It's so moving to me. A friend recently was like, Jenna's laugh makes me feel at home. And I was like, join the club. It's her secret weapon. <laughs> my stoner laugh. It's how she gets everybody to fucking bust out the sass on their pot on her podcast but yeah we've been working on a podcast together and it's been you know it's interesting it's been one of the most creatively gratifying experiences of my lifetime which not that I didn't expect to have a great time with you but I don't think I expected how deep the process would be and how much I would fall in love with audio I'm so glad you feel that way yeah I do and I'm really impressed with your talent what do you feel is special about audio I tend to work in two mediums. I work as, you know, a filmmaker and an actor, and then I also work as a writer. And so it's like I work in pictures and sounds and then just like that private relationship that you have with uh, with a book or a magazine or whatever, the, with a tweet. But there's something really amazing about removing the visuals and like this kind of beautiful experience of really listening that is so kind of like – 
not to get too deep, but there's something so like primal and human about listening. Get deep, girl. <laughs> Thanks. You're really good at this. This is a long form podcast. There's something primal and, and human about listening. It's like attuned me in a new way, listening to the cuts you send me, interviewing people, listening to their speech patterns. Like I feel like it's given me like almost like um, a new super sense. That And I also just love the craft of it. I love the fact that you and I, you know, gather all this material and then you go and you whittle it into this like beautiful thing and you weave music in and out and you create this kind of like tapestry of sounds, this collage of sounds. I, I really love it. And I feel like something that you've done with our podcast, which I wasn't able to articulate that I wanted, but I really wanted was to do something that felt a little more impressionistic and a little more like a variety hour and a little less like sort of newsy and a little less sort of pop MTV generation. And I just feel really proud of the way you've put it together and lucky to be involved. You're very sweet. So yeah, so I've known you for a while. It's been really a weird and interesting thing to like have a friend who you watch get more and more famous. Like I knew you when you were not famous at all. You were making really wonderful videos in college. You were really nice to me about it, but they were not all so wonderful. No, they were so wonderful, all of them. Um, (laughs) But anyway, do you remember the exact moment when you realized you were famous? It's a really interesting question. I think I was so resistant to like buying into any notions of it because I was also so surrounded by my family who were like this is a repulsive thing to talk about fame is gross and it's a corrosive force and it ruins lives and we don't want to be any part of you and your fucking you know (laughs) you and your fucking whatever rise to power and so I think I really resisted processing it but I do remember being in an airport with my dad before girls came out we shot the pilot but girls hadn't come out yet and a airport security like like a TSA worker was like I saw your movie on on TV I really liked it And just the fact that anyone had seen my movie, much less someone who was in such a different demographic than me, this was like a middle-aged airport security dude, not like another 24-year-old girl in New York. And I remember that feeling really profound. And then I remember at the first girls premiere, like standing with the other girls and everyone was like sort of screaming her name and taking her picture and wondering like, is this what this is going to feel like? And the fact is it kind of changes all the time. Like some, there's some days where I completely forget anyone's ever heard of me. And then there's some days where I feel like I wish I could like get a face transplant and just, you know, go into the bodega with a new face. But you can get a face transplant now. You can, can't you? Absolutely. Or just a face rethink. (laughs) Absolutely. So this is a podcast that really focuses on writing and kind of writing method. And a lot of the listeners are people who are aspiring writers and already writers. So I'm going to ask you some questions about writing. Can't wait. We've had a lot of people on who are New Yorker writers. Mm-hmm. I've heard that the, that when you first started writing for The New Yorker, you ended up like at Remnick's house and he was editing you at his kitchen mm-hmm. table. Can you tell us how that relationship started and, you know, how it's developed? That was a real brag on my part, whoever I told that to. But, you know... So it was kind of amazing. I was close friends with Nora Ephron. So was David and his wife, Esther, who have both become really close friends of mine. And I, um, someone at the New Yorker website reached out to me about doing a remembrance for Nora. And I was in such a fugue state. She had passed away the night before, and I was on set in upstate New York. And I just said, you know, yes, yes. And I wrote it in my trailer in this kind of days, and I kind of couldn't believe she was gone. I kind of felt like I was writing it for her to read. I didn't understand what was happening. And I wrote the piece and they put it on the site shortly thereafter. And David Remnick reached out and very kindly said, you know, like, I know you're in pain and so am I. And this has been very hard. And I think she would have loved your piece. And we met for lunch at the Odeon downtown, and it, which is my favorite restaurant. And we talked and had a real connection. And, you know, he said, like, if you'd like to experiment with the idea of writing for us, 
I would love that. And so I sent him some pieces and he, you know, saw, I guess, some potential, but they needed some work. And so the first piece, I was shooting the show, so I couldn't like go to his office during normal office hours. And so he went like, why don't you just come over to my house on Saturday and we'll sit down and we'll go through this line by line because I had never done a real true edit. I didn't know how to like sort of, you know, respond to the notes that I was given. I didn't even really understand how to like work with the Word document. And so he and I sat together and poured over the printed out pages. And it took me a while to realize that not everyone who writes for The New Yorker gets to have like exhaustive word by word attention from David Remnick. And I feel really lucky because from the beginning, he was a really challenging editor. I think sometimes when you're on TV or when you're a public figure, people just want to like anything you write down or anything you say, they're like, great, great, let's put that into the world. And it was really important to me, I think because of David, when it came time to write a book, I understood like, no, I need somebody who's rigorous and strict. And he really taught me because he has a lot of rigor and a lot of love. And so um, being edited by him remains one of my favorite things. And when you write for The New Yorker, are you always edited by him now? I am. He always edits me. I've been edited by someone else for the website, but he did a first pass. I'm very, I mean, I'm very lucky. And I reckon, and there's, everyone there is an amazing editor. It's not like, it's not like everybody else has like, you know, bad caseworkers. I just happen to be really lucky because David's such a wise person who shared so much of that wisdom with me and really has helped me. He was so supportive during the process of my book. He's been so supportive at every turn. And, you know, it's not always a gift to have me writing for you. It can, like, create controversy that you wouldn't want to deal with. And he's just been amazing at every step of the way. Hey, it's Max. I'm going to pause Jenna and Lena here for a second and uh, tell you a little bit about our sponsors this week. First up is Prudential. And uh, if you'll bear with me here for a second, you and I are just going to have a little talk. And it's now noon, it's uh, 12 o'clock, and I'm taping this, but there's like 15 other things I was supposed to do this morning that I have not done. Uh, And here's why. It's easy to procrastinate. It's actually natural to procrastinate, whether it's a small decision or a big decision, uh, exercise, doing that piece of work. Our brains are like hardwired to not want to do things. And uh, maybe the best example of what we don't want to think about or do is saving for retirement because who's ever going to be old? I mean, I'm old, but uh, you're not old. You're never going to be old. How could you possibly ever be old? Here's the thing. uh, You are going to be old. And when you're old, you're going to really wish that you had some money. So uh, here's what I recommend you do. Go to bringyourchallenges.com. That's bringyourchallenges.com. It's a website that Prudential has set up to help you think about procrastination and maybe just kind of get some access to the idea that one day you're going to be an old person who really wishes the younger version of themselves had saved some money. Go check it out. Bringyourchallenges.com. Thanks to Prudential for sponsoring the show. Also sponsoring the show this week, The Great Courses. And uh, The Great Courses has a new learning service. It's called The Great Courses Plus, and it's going to give you unlimited access to thousands of fascinating subjects. Great Courses has over 5,000 video lectures, history, science, photography, cooking, and more. It's taught by award-winning professors like real college professors, experts from National Geographic, Smithsonian, the Culinary Institute of America. And with the Great Courses Plus, you can watch as many different lectures as you want at any time from anywhere, TV, laptop, tablet, phone, wherever you want to watch these courses, you can. Here's the deal, the best part about it. You can try the Great Courses Plus for free right now for a month. Just go to thegreatcourses.com slash longform. That's thegreatcourses.com slash longform and start your free one-month trial right now. Improve yourself. Learn something with The Great Courses. Okay, let's get back to Jenna and Lena. 
So we've talked about a little bit about magazine writing now, mm-hmm. um, a little bit about film. You've worked across so many different mediums in such a short time. How do you kind of choose like which medium you're going to use to discuss like a, an aspect of your life? Like, I don't know if this makes sense, but are there certain places that are like better for certain for for like talking about relationships or better for talking about parents or friends or is it sort of all it's all I think there. about this all the time. I think it's such a thoughtful question. It's interesting. I was talking to Sia, the pop musician and songwriter, and she said this really smart. I was like, how do you know when a song's for you and when it's for another artist? Because she writes a lot, be it for Rihanna or Beyonce or Leah Michelle or, you know, like she has all kinds of um, people who she's collaborating with. And she said to me, like, the song just kind of tells me if it's for me or if it's for somebody else. And I kind of had that experience with writing, which is that a story will come to me or a moment will seem appealing and it will either scream at me like, I belong in girls or it will scream at me or it will start to kind of like be an essay in my head before I can even control it. Like the first lines or or a paragraph will start to come to me or I'll see a scene and know like, oh, that feels like it's a piece of a film. Or sometimes there's a thought that's so dumb it's only a tweet. But like it kind of tells you and I do have moments of indecision like um, I've been working on fiction and there's moments where I'm like, why am I doing this? Am I just supposed to be like writing screenplays or putting this into girls? But I like that feeling of being scared a little bit. I like that feeling of being like, oh, I may be going down the exact wrong path and sending something to someone and going like, please tell me if I'm insane. And sometimes they do say you're insane. But I've always had a little bit of sort of like creative ADD. And I think that I was always scared to become like, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. But at the same time, writing across mediums can be a really healthy way to like utilize your energy and stay productive while not feeling like entrapped. At the end of the day, the time when I feel most like life is just flying by and I don't even know what's happening to me is when I'm writing prose because it's such an intimate relationship that you're having. And at the end of the day, like, yes, someone will read it someday. But when you're writing a script, you're making a blueprint for something that doesn't exist yet. But when you're writing prose, the thing exists. And that's really satisfying and immediate. I think that's like the best place to go for my deepest and most in the now concerns. Yeah, speaking of all of these different mediums, you've worked on so many projects in such a short period of time. And I have a couple of questions about that. How the fuck do you do it all? (laughs) By being compulsive and getting up, making all my friends mad at me and, you know, missing your wedding because I like had like a uterine (laughs) problem because I couldn't move because I've been doing too much. I like forgive you the wrong way. Thank you. I'm going to be there for you at other important times in your life. (laughs) Thank you. Have you ever put anything out because you're like working on so many things in like, you know, such a short time period? Have you put anything out that you're not proud of? Something that was really scary for me was when we did our first Lenny fiction issue and I shared fiction that I was working on. And it's not that I'm not proud of it because I'm really loving my experience, like delving into fiction. But I felt like were I to sit on this for another year, it would I would probably have a whole other angle that was like that deepened it and. But my des- but like sometimes my desire to like sort of sh- involve other people in the process or kind of test what it feels. It's not even like I'm demanding feedback. It's more like I like to know what it feels like to have other people react and go like, well, did that feel good? Did that feel bad? And that was a situation where I was like, oh, if that had percolated for another year, another two years, it would have been just fine. And that's where the part of me that's a little bit – I mean I have obsessive compulsive disorder. I am a compulsive person. And so I work compulsively. I write compulsively. And sometimes I share compulsively. And that's definitely led to moments like what I hate more than anything is when I get like flack, be it for a piece of writing or a tweet or a line or whatever. And 
I don't feel like I can stand behind the thing I'm getting flack for. Like, I feel like I'm I'm like, that was stupid. That was dumb. I don't even know why I wrote it. So I can't defend it. Like, that is the worst feeling. And I try to avoid those moments in my life as much as I can. Like, one of my first experiences with any public attention, which you may remember, is when I put out a YouTube video of myself, like, bathing in a fountain at Oberlin that. College. <laughs> it's called The Fountain. And it got like a million hits on YouTube because they put it on the homepage and it was just everyone talking about how fat I was and how stupid the video was <laughs> and what made me want to kill myself. I mean, sorry, I'm not trying to make light of suicide, but I was very depressed was not that people were calling me fat. It was that I was like, this isn't even good. I don't even want people to know about this. Like this was just one of the experiments that came from my brain. And now suddenly it has a million and a half views and a ton of hostility. And hence it's being yanked from the Internet. Hmm. That's an interesting idea that like you want to you want controversy around things you can stand behind, but yeah. not around things you can't. No, it's so embarrassing if everyone's like, this was ridiculous and offensive and you're obese and you're like, well, I might not be obese, but I just can't even I can't even I can't even muster a ce- the cellular energy to defend this. <laughs> That's so sad. So sad. Um, So you brought up Lenny, and I think a lot of listeners to this podcast are very curious about Lenny um, because like I, I, it seems really exciting. I, I don't fully like know exactly like what it is, what the goals yeah. are, and I want to really understand it. So LennyLetter.com is a email newsletter that comes to your inbox twice a week, and it is a feminist newsletter that focuses on issues of politics, lifestyle, the personal essay, fashion, beauty, and runs the gamut of the topics that I think are important to the modern woman, however you want to define woman. It's pretty, it's a left-leaning, politically conscious publication in which we're trying to really like reclaim a strong internet space for feminists. What's really exciting to me about it so far, we've put out three issues plus three interviews, which we do interview Fridays where we send out a shorter issue that's just an interview. And what's exciting to me about it so far in the nearly a month that we've been launched, is that it's starting conversations. My goal with my partner, Jenny Connor, and with our amazing Lenny staff is to attempt to start important dialogues or dialogues that feel essential to us as women who are so often frustrated by the current climate. It's exciting that the conversations begin and then people go and run with them. And we're noticing like a real um, openness, kindness, and kind of like a lack of snark in the group of women who are coming together and men who are coming together to talk about the issues in the newsletter. Last week, we had a Jennifer Lawrence piece about fair pay in Hollywood and the conversations it started, the, you know, the places that it was mentioned, I'm like, you know, that can only do good things for the dialogue about wage equality in this country. And it's exciting that someone like Jen wanted to put her star power behind an issue like that and do it in a humorous way and do it in a way that was relatable. And that kind of like really spoke to the mission of Lenny on like a pretty deep cellular level. And I think our goal going forward is to like to continue to start those conversations. And it doesn't have to be the Oscar winning star of a franchise who starts them. It can be a woman you've never heard of who's living in a state that you've never visited. It's about finding ways to connect and to, like, recognize the shared humanity of, like, women who have different experiences than each other. And it's also just about having fun. And I feel like so many internet platforms became so hostile for me. So much media became so fraught. And so just to, like, have this place that's kind of – I don't mean to sound like a hippie, but we did go to Oberlin, Jenna. Like, this place that's full of, like, love and intellectual curiosity and good vibes and humor. It feels safe to me. And that's exciting. And 
I think the potential of that for me, like a safe place to talk about feminist issues, the potential for that of that for me is boundless. You have to go. So I'm going to ask you one more question. Yeah, baby. Is there any kind of writing that you have not yet done but want to? Yes. Well, I did it in college. I'm not going to say I was good at it. I love theater and I love playwriting and I always have. Like, I've been obsessed with Broadway since I was a little kid. I love going to theater alone. I don't think there's anything more transformative than like sitting in the darkness by yourself watching a play. To me, the biggest heartthrobs are still like theater actors and novelists. (laughs) That's who, and the occasional politician. That's who really gets me going. Joe Biden. Yeah. And there's this cool like auctioneer who I always see at like charity events. This guy, CK Sweat. And he's just a really good auctioneer. And I'm always like, that's cool. Hey, CK. Hey, CK. We really appreciate your work. I'm in a relationship, but I really support what you do. I think that. Theater is so amazing and it remains intimate. And I like that it's sort of like the last frontier of writing that is like it's never the theater is never going to be movies. It's never going to be the Internet. It's always going to be the super intimate thing. And I really like the idea of making something for that space. But I also recognize that like you study for a bajillion years and like go to Juilliard and like read Aristotle. And I don't want to like be the jerk who's like, yeah, I could write a play. So I think it's like something I want to do. Same way I feel about fiction. Like I want to enter into it with like trepidation and seriousness. But then at a certain point, you kind of just have to jump. Totally. Lena Dunham. Jenna Weiss Berman, you killed it. You killed it. I love you a lot, and I'm really pleased to be in this long-term friendship with you. (laughs) Good day, sirs and missus. Thanks for listening to Longform. I'm Jenna Weiss-Berman. I usually edit the show. This week I hosted it, and Max Linsky, who often hosts it, edited it. Uh, long form is also Aaron Lammer and um, Evan Ratliff from The Atavist sometimes hosts this show uh, we are brought to you this week by Masterclass MailChimp and Prudential thanks so much to them thank you very much Lena Dunham for uh, finding the time to do this and long form is back next week No more.